Not yet. You can do that? Okay, so be ready. <laughs> Question. Why is there battle in the world? Think about it for a second. We know the obvious answer, right? But why is there battle in the world? We can make this question more personal. Why do we ourselves battle? Think about history, church history, crusades. Why? Why battling? Why fighting against each other? Why killing? Why so much blood, even in our days? The wars that we know about, the wars that we don't know about. The wars that I am used to in Brazil that is not considered war, but it happens every day. Thousands of people killing and dying. How many of you have read the Epistle of James, for example? Okay. The Apostle James asked the same very question. There you go. Listen to this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have. So, you kill. And what is astonishing is that he's speaking to a church. <laughs> you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. I kind of like the translation of the message on this one as well. These battles come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. Why is there war, battles, fights, or even more important, how does the world battle their battles? It's not only important to recognize or acknowledge there's battle, there's fights, there's war, but how does the world, the people, Outside of the church that don't have Christ, how do they battle their battles? And should Christians battle at all? Or are Christians called to battle in a different way? So this morning we are going to see this text and just a reminder for us of the last week. We saw the very first battle recorded in the Bible. And I, I just love how we are so used to Scripture sometimes, but we miss the point Look, this is the first ever battle recorded in the Bible. And we have it here. And there's a lot for us to know and understand here. And also later on, we're going to see there's a lot of new different words that are so important throughout Scripture. 
But we saw this battle. There was this very powerful king. His name, Kedor Laomer. And the story tells us that five kings had been subjected to him for like 12 years. And they what? They decided that's enough. We are not going to submit to you anymore. Which means we are not going to pay you any more money, any more tribute. So instead, they formed their own alliance. And this powerful king, of course, he wouldn't accept it. So instead, he decided to battle them. He called out three other kings to join him, which battle became known as the five kings versus the four kings. Very original. Very creative. The five kings versus the four kings. So Kedor Laomer, he had it south and easily won the battle. He returned to the north with all the spoils of war, which means things and people. The only problem was that as part of all the people that he conquered, there was this family locked and his on. Abram was informed of this, and Abram decided to battle these powerful kings in order to rescue his relative. Think about it. There's a few questions that come to my mind reading this. Why? Why? Why would Abram join a war? That he himself had nothing to do about. Or even more specifically, why join a war for the purpose of rescuing Lot, a relative that decided to walk away the way he did. Towards east, away from the Lord. Why? Even if you think about strategies, how do you battle an army of four powerful kings knowing that you are first advanced in your age? Second, that you only have 318 trained men. What's going on, Abram? Isn't Abram risking losing everything? All the promise, all the blessings, all the redemptions, all the wealth that God gave to him. And now he is going for this battle because of Lot. But somehow, Abram was able to what? Miraculously win the battle against them and to recover the people and the goods that belonged to these Canaanites kings, including Lot and his family. But here we have our text today. Story not over. We have the climax this morning. So if you see, Abram returns victorious, and on the way back, there's two kings waiting to meet with him. So once he is done, the first king mentioned is the king of Sodom. You can see verse 17. After his return, from the defeat of Kedor Laomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shiva, 
that is the king's valley. The king of Sodom. Remember, Sodom was the place where Genesis 13 told us that people, people there were wicked and sinning greatly against the Lord. This is also the place where Lot and his family decided to move there, to live there. This king, he did not respect Abram. You can see his words. He, he's not showing any appreciation for Abram conquering and recovering all the things at war. He comes and says to you, Abram, Verse 21, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. According to the laws of that time, if you are going to a war and you're able to conquer everything, now all the things, people and goods, belongs to you. You do not have to give it back to the kings that previously owned them. But here's the king of Sodom, an evil king. And he says, like, he had any rights. Oh, Abram, keep the goods. Just give me the people. What? What are you talking about? And what is even more astonishing is that Abram resigns all the spoils of war. So we have this weird text, this weird battle. The reasons to go to war are kind of like not very sure. The way that the king of Sodom is relating to Abram and the way Abram responds not taking anything this was the greatest opportunity for Abram to become the greatest king in the land of Canaan. And he resigned it. I'm not doing it. And we have here in the text the reasons for it. But I just want to give you guys the title and the main idea so we can move on. This text shows us the God who intervenes. The main idea is when the invisible battle is set before Abram, the king priest presented himself to offer the only weaponry able to bring victory. Okay, we saw verses 1 through 16, the real battle, but that's not the important battle. The battle starts now in this conversation. In the conversation that Abram has with the king of Sodom and with the king of Salem, Melchizedek. That's when the real battle starts, which is the invisible battle. And the question is, is Abram going to battle the way the world battles or is he going to submit to the Lord and trust the Lord with all that he has? Not trying to grasp 
all things to make himself powerful right now. So the invisible battle is set before Abram. He wasn't respectful at all, the king of Sodom. He didn't show any appreciation for Abram. All the things that Abram recovered was now by his right, his. He had nothing to do of giving it back to anyone. Abram could have become the greatest king in the land of Canaan. He had all the wealth now, all the military power in his very hands. But he decided that this was not a thing to be grasped. Yesterday, I took my kids and my mom to the beach. And I remember the kids were playing, like doing, building castles of sand. It was very interesting seeing from the moment they sit to play. You know, the beach is big, right? But they had their space. And Christopher was playing with the castle, trying to do it. Of course, he wasn't able to. And Katarina by his side. And he said this, this is my land to Katarina. You are not allowed to take my sand. And I was like, there's a lot here, Christopher. But why are you battling and fighting with your sister because of the square feet? Or That's not Abram. Abram is not fighting for the land with his own very hands. Like, the Lord told me I'm going to be the guy bearing all the promises. And the Messiah will come through me. So I got to make sure that I keep all this land and all this wealth. That's not Abram. Instead, he gave it all back. And he gave back to this evil king, the king of Sodom. Like you're making this evil king prosper again to continue doing his evil things. But there's, there was more brothers and sisters, more to be seen only than only what your eyes can see. Remember Lot, chapter 13? He was able to choose where you want to go, Lot. Let me see. Oh, beautiful land. Look, green pastures. Psalm 23. Oh, no, it wasn't written yet. I'm going there. He was choosing. He was walking by sight, not by faith. And now the question for Abram is, what about you, Abram? It was very easy to say that Lot was not walking by faith, but what about you? Are you going to walk by faith or are you going to walk by sight? He had a specific discernment. Look at verses 22 and on. Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hands to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will not take nothing but what the young man have eaten and the share of the man who went with me. I will take nothing that belongs to you. 
This is a lesson to the people in the wilderness. Later on, reading this, you're not supposed to make any alliances with the people living in the land. You have to trust your God, your Lord, that he is going to give you the land. He is going to provide you with food and wealth. Do not trust yourselves to do it. And Abram is teaching them that. And I don't know why. I cannot escape Ventura. It seems like every text that I'm preaching here, there's a sandwich before me. There's like the burger, the bread. Let me show you this. Verse 17 the king of Sodom comes to meet Abram. And then verse 21, we have the king of Sodom saying things, communicating to Abram. But we have something in the middle. Verses 18 through 20 are in the middle of our text. And it seems like there's an interruption. It's very abrupt. All of a sudden, out of the blue, boom, we have Melchizedek. And he starts speaking to Abram. If you read verse 17 and verse 21, you see there's a natural sequence to the text. Let me read it to you. After his return from the defeat of Kedor, Laomer, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shiva, that is the king's valley. Go to verse 21. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. This is just the natural sequence to the text. But there's something in the middle. There's an interruption. Very mysterious. Just like the person that is now speaking to Abram. A very mysterious figure in the Bible. A king, priest named Melchizedek. He is introduced to us without any other form of presentation. Remember, in a book called Genesis, where there's a lot of genealogies telling you where people, you're father of this, you're daughter of this one, and I see where you're coming. But now Melchizedek, all of a sudden, boom, he shows up. And all of a sudden, he's gone. He's the king of righteousness. That's his name. And he is the king of Salem, which means he is the king of peace. That's what Hebrews tells us. He is the king priest, which for the Israelites later on would be something completely forbidden. The king is not supposed to be a priest. And the priest is not supposed to be the king. And he receives a tenth of Everything that Abram brought from the war. Which means Abram recognizes that this guy before him is greater than him. He's paying this king priest, recognizing you are greater than me. You deserve part of all the spoils of war. But 
isn't Abram the guy here? Like the figure in the Old Testament or even Genesis. Not only he was a mysterious figure, but the way, remember, the way this encounter, the way this conversation happens is also unnatural. And I believe, and I'm sure you guys believe as well, that scripture is not unintentional or there's stuff in the Bible that is caused by accident or a mistake or some guy he was writing, oh, I'm so sorry, the wrong place. And okay, that's God's word. And we know there's a purpose for this. But the question is, what is the purpose? Why is it written the way it is? When the invisible battle is set before Abram, we go through our second part of the main idea. The king priest presented himself to offer the only weaponry able to bring victory. It's kind of like Melchizedek is intervening before Abram has the opportunity to have this conversation with the king of Sodom. Wait! I have to tell you something. Before you're able to talk to this king, let me tell you something. So that you're ready to have this conversation. Because remember, the battle that we saw last week, 14 verses, just saying all the details of war. And when Abram shows up, there's only two verses. He entered the war, and the second verse, 16, he won the battle. But now we have an invisible battle here going on. And we have even more verses because that's the important part. That's the climax for us. But the question is, what did Abraham's meeting with this king Melchizedek taught him? How was this meeting preparing him to do what was right? which was not taking anything that belongs to the king of Sodom. Melchizedek, verse 18, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything, and Melchizedek was no more. He disappears. He shows up. He proclaims a blessing to Abraham and to the God of Abram. And that's it. But what is he saying? He is reminding Abram, Abram, you are not the guy. Remember, Abram, you are not the one that was able by yourself to win this battle. I believe scripture is telling us that Melchizedek, without even saying it, he is protecting Abram's heart against pride. Remembering him. It is the God most high that blessed you. And remember, Abram, all these things that you have recovered, 
doesn't belong to the king of Sodom, to Kedor Laomer, nor even you, because there's only one possessor of heaven and earth, and he is the God most high, not the kings. There's only one king. Chapter 14, there's more than 30 mentions of the word king. And without even saying, scripture is clear here telling us there's only one king, and his name is the God most high. He is the one that is able to bless people. He is the possessor of heaven and earth. And he was the one, Abram, that delivered into your hands all your enemies. It wasn't your strategy. It wasn't your power. It wasn't your people. It wasn't even your faith. It was God. Abram, listen to this sermon. And then after a prayer, there is the offering. And Abram, okay, so here's a tenth of everything. He is paying this priest. He is recognizing, yes. Like me, you are a servant of the real king, the God most high, and everything belongs to him. And now he's ready to face the king of Sodom and to have this conversation. Let me tell you something. I've been able, from the last year, Friday, It was exactly a year that we arrived here in Holland, Michigan. And I can tell before the Lord and my family is here that we have seen plenty of miracles here. Not because of Ventura, but because of the God that is over you. Do you know what is one of the greatest miracles that can happen in the human heart? When the human heart is not grasping money. It's not trying to protect your own wealthy. Jesus said it. You know the parable, the story of the camel trying to. A rich guy, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is actually impossible, Jesus says, for everyone. Why? Because our hearts are so trying to connect ourselves and to find our identity in the things that we have that we try to hold it. And I'll tell you this. There is a great miracle happening when people are so open with their things, their time, their money, that they offer it to other people, to missionaries, to people in need. And I've seen this here. And I praise the God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, because he is working in hearts here. And all glory goes to him. Abram met this guy, Melchizedek, the king priest. And we know from the New Testament that Melchizedek, he is a picture of Christ. And there we go to you. What the New Testament says that the Old Testament, there is a lot of shadows about Christ. 
And Melchizedek is a shadow of Christ. And let me tell you how. Melchizedek is a shadow of Christ because he is greater than Abram. Melchizedek is greater than Abram, just like Christ is greater than Abram. Melchizedek, he comes and gives bread and wine. And he's not asking for anything. He's not asking like, so I've preached to you. Would you mind giving me like a tenth? No. It was spontaneous. He just received. He blessed the Lord and Abram blessed him. He comes and gives rather than requiring, asking. Third, as a shadow of Christ, he comes to God's people and he exalts the name of God. He reminds the people of God who is the real king and how we are supposed to worship this God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth. He's a shadow of Christ in a way that he is an encouragement to Abram in a way to prepare him for what is to come conversation with the king of Sodom he brought even bread and wine to a king that is traveling more than 200 miles after a battle he needs food but at the same time it's it's not the bread and the wine it's the the significance of it the meaning behind it he's feeding he's serving he's a servant king and priest Melchizedek is a shadow of Christ in the way that Abram submits to his kingship and to his priesthood. But let me tell you this. He's not only a shadow of Christ. He is an imperfect shadow of Christ. Because Christ is so much greater than Abram, than Melchizedek, than anything. Your Christ, your Savior, is the one greater, way superior to you, anyone, including Melchizedek. Why? How? Melchizedek meets us after the battle. The battle was done, and then comes Melchizedek. Christ is way superior. Why? Because Christ is with you and me all the time, before the battles. During the battles, after the battles, he's with us all the time. He is not showing up and going out, and we are like orphans. No, 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 no. That's not our Savior. He comes, he saves, he conquers, and he sends his Holy Spirit so that we are not orphans here. We have the presence of Christ. The food that Melchizedek brings perish. It's bread and wine. But the kind of food that our king priest gives us is everlasting. And it's not something. It's himself. He gives himself to us. Christ is not only encouraging us from the distance to overcome the battles like a coach saying do this do that and i'm just waiting for you he comes and he does it for us in us to us he's not watching 
He's active. We are the ones just watching all he does and praising. Wow. Wow, what a king. What a priest. What a warrior. What a king of peace he is. The question is, if Abram recognized that Melchizedek was greater than him and gave him an offering, how do you pay back the King Jesus? How do you can give him anything if he is the possessor of heaven and earth? How much more submission admiration, love, faith, trust, joy, humbleness are we supposed to give to our king, priest, the Lord Jesus? Let me finish. I have some questions for you. Ventura, what kind of battles are you entering to What kind of battles are you choosing to enter? And I want you to ask yourself, why? Why am I choosing to battle because of this? Why is it so important to me? What is this telling me about my heart and my treasure? Secondly, how are you battling? How are you going to proceed in your battles? What kind of weapons are you using? Well, if you're battling for your desires and your flesh and your heart, you cannot even use the spiritual weaponry. It doesn't fit. So first, think about what kind of battles are you entering to? And if you can respond saying, by the grace of God, the, battling, the battles that I'm choosing to enter are the spiritual ones for the things that matter the most, for the kingdom of God, there's plenty of weapons for you to use. And the second question is, are you using those? Are you using the armor of God, which will be next year the training grounds? Are you using the weapons that God gave you, or are you trying to make your own weapons to fight? And it's clearly not working. What drives you to use your time, money, influence the way you are using right now? Because we are using our time, our money in a very specific way. And the question is, why? Why am I using my money this way? Why am I using my time this way? Why am I using my influence this way? Are you going to use God's weaponry, his name? That's what Abram did. Remember the conversation with the king of Sodom? He's basically repeating what Melchizedek told him. I lift up my hands to the God most high. 
the possessor of heaven and earth. He learned, and now he's using the weapon against the evil king. That's the invisible battle. But he received the discernment. Let me ask you to fulfill this. We know this text, right? Philippians chapter 1. But think with your heart. How would you fill the blanks right now? What is to live for you? What is to die for you? I hope we can do as the Apostle Paul, to live as Christ. And to die is gain. I pray for things for myself, for my family, and for all of you. I pray that the Lord would continue to give us the knowledge of himself. And we have here in the text, Melchizedek is proclaiming the name of God that Abram didn't know yet. It's a new name of God, the God Most High. And now Abraham is going to use it. And he's growing in this knowledge of who God is so that he is enabled to battle the wars that are invisible. I pray the Lord would continue to teach us with sound doctrine, whether it's from this pulpit, whether it's in the Sunday schools, whether it's in the back for the kids. I pray for Ventura and for all of us that the Lord would teach us continually. I pray that the Lord would give, secondly, discernment. So that we can face temptations, the desires of our heart. We need discernment just like Abram needed it. And he received the discernment before the battle. We need discernment. And we have the spirit. There's this song that I love here in in America. I need thee every hour. And it says, I need thee every hour. Stay thou nearby. Temptations lose their power when thou art night. What is the secret to conquer the battles? It's not reading scripture, praying more, reading more, doing more. It's having more of God, which includes reading scripture, praying more. But don't miss the point. You need more of God. I need more of God. And I know he is more than willing to give us more of himself. Third, I pray for humility, humbleness, a heart that is content, not fighting over what you think you deserve or the things that you think you're losing over your pride or anything else. And last, for More faith. Trusting the king. And I pray that we can make the sermon title and the main idea very personal like this. That when the invisible battle is set before you, Jesus the king priest has presented himself to offer you the only weaponry able to bring victory. And that you would trust this, Christ. And let me tell you, it's not, a, it's not going to be easy. The last thing I want to do is reading Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. You can read with me or just listen. 
After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. After all of this, perhaps you're thinking, now Abraham, he is the guy. Oh, what a faith. Oh, he knows it all. He knows how to do this. There's a lot to learn with Abram. When the night came, he's just a scared guy. He's just afraid. We don't know why was he afraid of. Perhaps like, did I do, what about my decisions? Was it the right thing to do to give back all this money, all this wealth that I could use even to help other people, but I'm giving back to an evil king? Is that the right decision? The Lord comes and he comforts saying, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. So trust me, rely on me, depend on me, rest. So Ventura, it's not going to be easy. You will fear. I'm fearing right now. There's a lot of decisions that we are called to do every day. But trust your Lord. He's going to do it. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, our God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. We pray to you because you are our hiding place. And we come before you this morning asking you to bless us, teach us the way, and help us to endure in the battles that you are calling us, even the things that our eyes don't see, let us walk by faith, Lord. Help us. Give us more of Christ, more of this King of peace that we would reign with him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews 13, verses 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with ever everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through the Lord Jesus Christ. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.